The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, I want to welcome you today. Uh, if you're part of City, the City Rev Church family, glad that you are here. Good to see you. Those of you who are here in the room, those of you in Overflow, thank you for being here today. And uh, for those of you joining us online, I know many of our church family are not able to be here yet in person, but we're just so glad that, that we can still be together even though uh, we're, we're apart. So glad that you have joined us. Many of you might be here and saying, look, I, I'm new to uh, City Rev or new to just church in general. Um, if you are our guest, so glad that you're here. My name is Roby. I'm one of the pastors here. And we love seeing new faces around here, so glad that you're here. And we are in a series right now called Faith and Logic. That's the series that we're in. And kind of the basic premise of this series is we want to be a people of faith. We want to be a people who um, believe um, what, what the Bible says, or we want to be people of, just in general, people of faith. At the same time, we want to be people of logic. God gave us brains. He gave us the capacity to think, to think rationally, to think logically. And so the premise of this series is that you don't have to pick between faith or logic. That those actually don't work against each other. They're not mutually exclusive. They actually work together. So I don't know where you're at on your journey, but glad that you're here for part of it, uh, for this, this part of our series, because um, you, you may be here and say, look, I grew up in the church. I, my parents took me to church, but honestly, I've kind of you know strayed away since then. And, and um, I, I don't know, I just had some bad experiences or I've had some questions. And if that's where you're at, first of all, you're not alone. There are other people here that are in that same place. And so glad that you're join, joining us. And, and hopefully as we move through this, um, this might bring some clarity to some things that you've experienced through your life or some questions that you have. Others of you might be here and saying, look, I, I don't do the church thing at all. This is the first time I've ever maybe watched a church service like this or, or any church service at all. Maybe it's the first time you've been in a church. So glad that you've joined us. So glad that you've got the, the courage to be here. And again, you are not alone. Um, if you got invited here, that happens all the time. It's just someone who's had an experience with the person of Jesus. And when, when you've had an experience like, with the person of Jesus, like many of us have, we just want the people we love to experience what we've experienced. And so um, if you're one of those that have been invited in or invited to, to join us online, that, that's why you were invited and glad that you're here with us. But for some of you, you might say, look, I, I follow Jesus and I've been on that journey for a long time. And so if that's where you're at, the, then the hope of this series is that it will speak to you also and that it will deepen what you believe and deepen your faith. And so I'm um, glad that we're here for this series. Here's what we're going to do as we jump into part two of the Faith and Logic series. I just want to specifically pray over this time. And so um, let's just, as we enter into this Bible study time, let's, let's pray together. Would you just bow your heads for a moment and, and pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, as we open your word now, Father, I, uh, I pray that you would that you would speak through th this scripture. Lord, we believe the Bible is from you. And we take that both on the logical evidence, but also on faith. And so, Lord, we believe this is from you, and we believe that you have a message for us. And so, God, I ask that you also, Lord, we believe you're uh, active in our lives. We believe that you know in each one of our lives the circumstances that we have going on in our lives. And so, God, I just, I ask that you would speak to us, Lord individually, each one of us, what we need in our lives. So Lord, thank you that you're here with us and ask that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to open up with a, a dynamic that has happened to me before when I've been typing something, and um, I'm going to um, attempt to type here on the screen. You know, I didn't really think about this till earlier, but it's actually, it's intimidating to type in front of a lot of people, but I'm going to try typing anyway. Um, and as you know, on a keyboard, there are two home keys. The F key and the J key are the home keys. They've got like a little bump on each of one, each of them, and you're supposed to put your index finger on there, and it just keeps your hand anchored so that you can type. So um, let's just say like I'm, I'm typing something. Here we go. I'll just... Okay, there we go. And let's just say, you're ta anyone else love tacos here, by the way? Any taco fans? Yep. It's about lunchtime. Tacos on my mind. Anyway, so you're just going wrong and you're typing. And I wonder if you've ever had this experience. Maybe you're writing, uh, maybe just a project for school, or you're writing up a report, or you're typing an email. And um, what happens, I'm just going to like, um, let me just kind of like go to the next line. And uh, you've been typing along, and all of a sudden, your fingers move off those those home keys. Like you're no longer anchored where your fingers are supposed to be. And so let me see if I can do this here. And so I'm going to try, try to type the same line. And when you type it with your fingers moved, it comes out like that. And all of a sudden you've had your fingers like, you didn't realize your fingers weren't anchored to the home keys. And maybe you're looking and you're kind of typing some report, doing some data entry. And when you look back, you're like, okay, that is just completely nonsense. Anyone had that experience before your, your fingers go off the, the home keys? Seven of you, really? Honestly, this is a safe place, people. Okay, thank you. All right, so many of us, I bet everyone, if you've been typing for longer than, than five minutes, you've probably had this dynamic happening. What I think is interesting about this is just such a tiny little shift on the keyboard. I mean, it's not like you're, I mean, these two phrases are completely different. Like one makes total sense, one is absolutely unrecognizable. But you're using like the same keyboard, like you're using all the same keys. It's not like you've suddenly started speaking a different language. And it's not like you like, you know, are like using your elbows all of a sudden. You didn't like move your, your hands completely over. Just going off those home keys, just going off those anchor keys, just one key turns something in that's just completely unrecognizable. It's an interesting dynamic. And I was thinking about this because I think there's a dynamic that happens in our society that is, um, one of the, when, it, when we think about our society, our culture, our city, engaging the person of Jesus, this is one of the, I think, most prominent reasons that people in our society, in our culture, say, no thank you. And I'm just going to come out and just say it. I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just, I'm just in the spirit of having an authentic conversation and just honesty, I think it's when people who say they follow Jesus, their lives are not really recognizable as someone who follows Jesus. Let me just put it more directly. I think one of the greatest obstacles of our culture, our generation responding to the person of Jesus, is that often their encounter with Christians, with some of these, some Christians, whose lives just do not look like Christ. So like, let me give you some examples and just some conversations that I've had and maybe you've had or experienced similar situations. So uh, I've talked to people who say, look, I, um, I, I don't have anything against Jesus, but I just don't do the organized religion thing. I just don't do the church thing. I, I'm, I'm done with that. 
And so usually I'll just say, oh man, well tell me what happened, because usually there's something that has happened in their life, and sometimes it's something like this. Well, I was going to, to church, or I was having a good experience, and I was sitting under a leader or a teacher, and then all of a sudden, here I am learning from this person, trying to be like Jesus, and I find out that that leader or that preacher or that spiritual leader is is actually fallen into some deep immorality, and they've they've fallen, and now I'm, I'm looking at like, man, they've lived like two different lives. They've been kind of like living a, a separate life, and I'm wondering like, am I, here's the person that has been teaching me, but am I trying harder to follow Jesus than they are? So what's even the point? Or I've heard someone else say, no, I, I've, I've been walking with Jesus and I actually used to love church. It was my, my community. And then something happened in that church. Maybe a, a big change, maybe a different direction, maybe a new leadership or whatever it may be. And that change just was so disruptive to the church. And all of a sudden there's just so much conflict in the church where I've had, I've, I've had Christians say, look, I, I was treated, I was wounded so badly by other Christians at the church I went to. Many of them I'd known for years. I was treated worse by them than I'd ever been treated by someone not in the church. And so, man, after walking through that season, I'm like, I'm done. I, I don't, I can't do this anymore. It's actually worse for my spiritual health than helpful. For some people, it's not something with church. I've had other people say this, you know, oh, you know, pastor, I'm, uh, I've just, I've been interviewing for a job and I'm, I just got hired and, and the boss that hired me, the person I report to is I found out is a Christian and I'm so excited because I've had some, some bad bosses before, some difficult situations, but, but this one's a Christian. So I'm, I'm excited. I think that they're, you know, that we'll, we'll probably just have some trust and I'm expecting that they'll have, you know, just the character and dignity of someone who follows Christ. A couple months later, they say, look, I'm really struggling because, like, there's no grace and mercy and love. And, I, I mean, it's all selfishness and, you know, they're in it for themselves. I mean, I've had bosses that didn't know Jesus that were far better than that. Like, it's a bad experience. Or a new business owner, like, hey, I just started this business and, and my partner, we don't have all the details worked out, but, but I, I trust them because they say they're Christians, and as they go along and they're journeying along, man, they just, they, they've come back around and said, look, it is not going well. The relationship's completely broken. I can't believe they're acting like that. Or maybe just someone who's like at the, working at the office and they say, look, I've got all these Christian, I've got all these people I work with. Some are Christians, some are not Christians. And sometimes I feel like the non-Christians act more like Jesus than the Christians. Or how about the young couple that one day said to me, you know, we were going through a really tough time. There's a bad medical situation in our family, and we were just struggling for a long, many months. And in that season, I, I was surprised. It was, I had more of my unsaved friends that don't say they know Jesus check on us and care for us than my Christian friends. We kind of felt forgotten by them. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up. I'm not trying to, like, dogpile on this, and, and, and you know, I... I Follow Jesus myself. I would consider myself a Christian. And so I'm just trying to have like an authentic conversation um, among us about the reality. I'm not trying to be critical or, um, you know, shake a finger at anybody. I'm just saying let's have an honest conversation about a dynamic in our society and our culture that is very real. Sometimes Christians do not look anything like Jesus and this is a faith and logic question because there's many people that say, logically, that's enough for me to say, no, thank you. Because in the same way, logically, um, I know for me, if I was going to a gym and I was going to hire a trainer and I show up for the first day to meet the trainer and I see I'm in better physical shape than that trainer, 
I'm not learning from that trainer. In the same way, there are people like, wait, you want me to have what you have? I don't want what you have. Why would I want to be like that? No, thank you. It's a logical issue. Like, why would I follow after that? And so here's what I hope that, that we, as we look at why does that dynamic happen? For those of you who have been wounded and maybe said, look, I'm done with, why would I want anything to do with Jesus? Or those of you who've been wounded say, why would I want anything to do with other Christians or church? Or for those of you believers that say, yes, I've been dealt my own wounds, but I really want to look like Jesus. I don't want to hurt anyone. I, don't, I, I want to actually be the fragrance of Jesus here in my city. Why does that dynamic happen? How does it happen? I want to show you a passage that speaks to that directly. I want you to open it to the book of Jude in your Bible. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want you to open to the book of Jude, chapter 1. We're going to take a look at this together. Jude, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. This is a letter. And so these first two verses we're going to look at today are the introduction to a letter. Here's what it says. Jude a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just pause right here. This is his introduction and in how ancient letters worked. We talked a little bit about this last week, how ancient letters worked is you started with your signature. So he says, Jude. He says, this is who's writing it. It's me, Jude. And he references Jesus twice in this opening uh, phrase. And both times he refers to Jesus Christ. He uses uh, that phrasing for Jesus' name. As you probably know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. Christ means Messiah. So he's saying Jesus the Messiah. Then he addresses, that's who he is. He's Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. Then he says, this is who I'm writing to. So in our letters, we begin with dear so-and-so. This is how ancient letters worked. He says, it's me, Jude. It's to you. And then he describes these individuals, which we will find as you continue to read through the letter, these individuals are followers of Christ, fellow followers of Christ. And he describes these followers of Christ. So in other words, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, these are three ways that you are being described as well. He says uh, you are called, you are beloved, and he says you are kept. And I want to take a minute on these because there's something really profound just in these three words and the way they're written. The first is you are called. Called doesn't mean like you've been given a name or a title. Called means like you've been given an invitation. You are called. You are invited in. You have been called. Then he gives these next two, uh, these next two phrases. You are loved. By God the Father. God the Father loves you. And then the third one is he says, you are kept. Now this is a really rich word. What this means here by kept is guarded, protected. You are guarded by Jesus Christ. Okay. Now these last two words, beloved and kept, there's just in the details is something so subtle, but so unbelievably profound and you cannot miss it. Okay. Okay. But to understand this, 
we've got to talk a little bit of grammar, okay? And I know that there are three of you in here that are like, yes, grammar, I love grammar. And the rest of you are like, okay, I know it's like early afternoon, it's still too early, okay? I didn't have enough coffee for this. But I want you to hang in there, okay, and, and, um, and think with me about, I want you to see the, the Greek grammar here. You're like, dude, I don't even know English grammar, let alone ancient <laughs> Greek grammar, all right? All right, hang with me. We're gonna get through this together, but this is important, okay? This word beloved and this word kept are descriptors of Christ followers, descriptors of the recipients. And how these words work is they are participles, but specifically, okay, they are, they are passive perfect participles. Some of you are already asleep right now, okay? Just elbow that person and stay with me, okay? As opposed to present active participles. Now, here's how this works. The, um, the perfect of that means it is a past action that's been completed. And the passive means it is an action that is being done to the subject of the sentence. Okay, let me give you an example, okay? Earlier uh, this week, I went, my kids uh, were like, hey, dad, let's go play in the front yard. So we go out in the front yard and they wanted to get out some tennis rackets. So we got out a couple tennis balls and some tennis rackets. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? Um, we're just standing there in the grass. And they're like, let's just hit it back and forth. And so in my mind, I, I take the ball. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, because we're standing like seven feet apart, I'm thinking a nice underhand lob. What I learned very quickly is what they were envisioning is full overhand slam back at each other, okay? And I'm like, whoa, yo, what are we doing here? And like, no, I'm like, let's just do an underhand lob. And they're like, no, we want to do it like this, dad. And I'm like, all right, game on, okay? And now we're just swinging these things. And I know someone's going to end this with a concussion, okay? Thankfully, we all survived. But I want you to think about that. If one of my kids had taken that tennis ball and hit me like square in the face with that tennis ball, I would stand before you and I would say, yesterday I was hit by a tennis ball. That is, it's something that happened in the past. It's already done. And it's something that happened to me. If I said, my kids hit me with a tennis ball, that's no, that means the subject is them. They are the actors on the tennis ball. If I said, I am going to hit you right now with a tennis ball, okay, that would mean I am the actor and I'm doing it right now in the present tense. What this is saying is it's both of these verbs are passive. It's happening to the person it's describing and they've been happening in the past. Now you're saying... Boy, I hope you're going somewhere because I am barely hanging on here. Okay. All right, let's pull this around. The way, what this is describing about you, let's just take the first one. It says that you are loved by God. Now that's passive, not active. It's passive. That means you are simply the recipient of that love. You are the receptor of that love. You just receive it from God. That's who you are. But more than that, it's perfect. It's in the perfect tense. That means it's a past, fully completed action, but still has implications. That means his love for you has been perfectly defined and completed in your life. And you're just invited, you're just called to receive his love for you. The exact opposite would be 
not God loves you as a completed past action. He loved you, and it's perfect and complete. But the opposite would be you trying to love God today. It's present active. No, it's perfect passive. He loves you fully completed as a past action. The second verb, this is profound. You are kept by Jesus Christ. That's perfect and passive. It's passive in that the one that keeps you in the love of God is not you. That would be active. I'm keeping myself. It's you are kept in the love of God. You're the recipient by Jesus. It's passive. It's also perfect. Perfect tense. Means that's something that has been established in the past, perfectly completed, and still has implications for today. You're perfectly loved, and you're perfectly kept in that love. You follow me? Now, why is this so unbelievably important and profound? Because our tendency is to think and operate in the exact opposite. Not the perfect passive, but the uh, present active. We operate completely opposite. We operate as if our faith is about how well can I love God today? I'm the actor, and it's, and it's hanging in the balance presently, right now. And so the way we operate so often as faith is, man, I'm trying so hard, and, and I hope I've done enough to earn God's love. I'm trying to love God, and, and, by, and how good I love God. So I'm going to try and be obedient. I'm trying to do what he says. I'm going to try and you know, be giving and generous and kind. How well I love God, that determines whether he loves me. And so I'm working, man, I hope I did enough today. And oh, no, today, today this week was not a good week. I fell a lot. But, but you know, maybe the week before, but man, I was, I was doing great. So man, I was a super Christian. God loves me that last week. But this week, not so good. And so I'm up and down, up and down, because presently it's hanging in the balance. Presently it's hanging in the balance, God's love, and I'm going to try and be the one to earn it. Or maybe we say something like, no, okay, I, I know that God loves me and Jesus died for me and that's how I'm saved. But the way I stay in God's love, the way I keep his favor, the way I keep his acceptance, that part is up to me. So yeah, I accept that his love is something that God does, but no, keeping, keeping it, maybe it's just flat out keeping my salvation. Look, I know Jesus died, but man, I've, I've not been doing so well, and man, I've had some bad seasons. I hope I didn't lose my faith. Or maybe you say, no, I know I can't lose my faith, but man, I, I feel like sometimes God loves me more, and other times I know, man, I'm just so far from God right now. But no, that's not the profound word he's speaking over the recipients, these followers of Christ, and over you. It's not present active, it's perfect passive. The love of God, you just are invited to receive it. The love of God is perfect, established, unchanging for you, and he keeps you in that love. Jesus keeps you in that love. And if Jesus keeps you in that love, you can't fall out of it. Why do we fall into the other one where it's all not, we're not just the recipients, we're the one who act on it, where it's not just something that Jesus and God established in a moment in the past, but it's something presently hanging in the balance? Because that other part that our hearts go to so easily, that is the foundation of every single religion. What religion is, is it's all present active. It's up to me to do the right thing right now. 
It's up to me to make sure I have done enough to earn God's acceptance, God's approval. Whether that's some ancient Far Eastern religion, some um, uh, ancient tribal religion, some more modern religion, all religions boil down to present active. It's up to what I do right now to earn God's love. But what Jesus said, the perfect passive, we're the recipients of his love, that's something this world has never heard before, before Jesus. I want you to see what the implications of this. Let's just look at, look at one more verse, verse two. Here's what he says. It's a blessing. This is how they would end uh, letter introductions. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. It's really a beautiful phrasing. He's saying, let these three things be kind of multiply more and more and more and more and more in your life. May it just be, just like as it's been dumping in your life, may just the bucket from heaven be just, just dumping it on top of you, filling you with these three things. And you can see how these three, three things flow straight out of the gospel, straight out of the message of Jesus, straight out of the perfect passive, straight out of being recipients of his love and being kept by, by, by Jesus in his love for all time. You can see how it's just a recipient of that gospel. The first is mercy. Man, that's the foundation of the gospel is grace and mercy. I don't get what I deserve. What do I deserve? Well, every single one of us has sinned. We've broken God's uh, command of God's. Everyone, everyone's made a mistake. We've, made, we've, we've broken one of God's commands. And if we've sinned against an infinite being, then here's what justice is. Justice is an infinite punishment. And God's a just God. But he loves us and wants to have mercy and grace on us. So what does he do? How does he uphold justice and truth and not fudge on, on what he's, not, not bend what he said is, is truth and justice, but at the same time expend mercy? Well, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to earth. And he wasn't just a man. It was God in the flesh came to earth and he dies on the cross, taking all the punishment for sin and guilt and shame on him. So God ex just expends sponges all of our sin on Jesus. He exhausts the wrath of God on Jesus so that he can, he can deliver the punishment justly, but it can be on Jesus instead of us so he can give us grace and mercy. He's poured grace and mercy on us. You can see right out, right out of the gospel that it may multiply more and more and more. You can realize the mercy and grace of God. Peace. He's saying, man, as he's just dumped peace into your life, that it would just overflow in your life, this peace, this rest and wholeness in your life, that you're not walking every day wondering, like, have I done enough? Have I not done enough? Am I going to be saved? Am I not going to be saved? No, I'm spiritually at rest. I am your child. You love me. All things work together for good. I am trusting you even when my circumstances look bleak. I have rest, spiritual rest in my soul. He says, man, may that peace just be multiplied. And then love. May you be reminded. I mean, this flows right out of the gospel. I mean, we talk a lot about love in our culture, but the Bible's really clear on what love is. And it's not just like an emotion or an impulse or a good deed or, or a moment of kindness. It's very clear. This is what love is. This is 1 John 3. It says, by this we know love. You want to know what love is? It says, I'll tell you, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for brothers, our brothers and our sisters. What is love? It's a mysterious thing to our culture, but it's really clear in the Bible. Jesus showed us 
It's personal self-sacrifice, giving of ourselves for others. Man, as we are reminded of the sacrifice of God, may we just understand how much God loves us. May that just be pouring over us and multiplying deeper and deeper that every day we're more in awe of his mercy, more in awe, more awestruck by the peace he provides that passes understanding, more in awe of how much he loves us. And here's the implication. As those things are multiplied in us and overflowing, is that then the outflow is that we are expressing mercy, peace, and love to those around us. That's the expectation and understanding. If I'm receiving more mercy, peace, and love, it's overflowing out to the people around me. In fact, Jesus is super clear on this. Um, Look at what he says. This is Jesus' own words in John 13. He says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said, here's the marker. It's not a piece of jewelry. It's not a bumper sticker. You know, it's not having like a screensaver on your phone or maybe having a piece of Christian art, you know, it's, it's, the marker is this. I've showed you what love is. It's giving of yourself. As you give of yourself to those around you, the world will say, man, there's no one who does that like Jesus. You must be a follower of Jesus. By implication, it's the same for all of those men. As we receive such peace that it flows out of us and we're creating peace around us. That we've received so much mercy, we extend so much grace and mercy to the people around us. So let's ask that that question. If we were to ask our our culture, what Jesus said, like, is that what our culture would say marks Christians? Are those the the markers of of Christianity in our in our society and our culture? They say, oh man, I mean, I don't agree with a lot that Christians say or think, but man, one thing I've got to say is Christians, they just flow grace and mercy. They just flow out peace and, and they just flow out, you know, love, like self-sacrificing love. It just flows out of them. I mean, that grace and mercy, I mean, Christians show so much grace and mercy. They're just so non-condemning and non-judgmental. I mean, I just, when I think about Christians, I mean, they're just always at peace and rest. You know, they're, they're never angry. They're never stressing anyone out. They're, you know, when, with Christians, I mean, you never see like on social media where they're just flipping out. You know, you just never see that kind of thing. They're just overflowing with peace. Just love. I mean, I don't agree with a lot of Christians, but, you know, you, I got to say this. I don't see a lot of self-centered, self-focused, self-absorbed, selfish Christians. They're giving of themselves. They show love. You say, okay, time out. You're pushing it too far. I mean, is that even possible that the world would say that? Well, I want to take that question seriously. And uh, to do that, I want to remind you of a, or share with you about a, uh, one of the church fathers, one of the most famous ancient church fathers is a guy by the name of Tertullian. 
And Tertullian lived about 100 years after that first generation Christian. So he's in the second century. He was uh, from North Africa, African man, and very influential, very well-learned, brilliant, very logical, and his writings still exist to this day. And scholars still study his writings. And one of the things that was so interesting about him is he wrote, he was not just a pastor, but he wrote to the opponents of Christianity, and there were a lot of people who opposed Christianity at that time period. They, would, they didn't just like not like it. At times they would persecute it at that point. It was a, a small minority religious sect that seems like the entire world didn't like and, and dismissed at the time. And so he wrote to his opponents. He built brilliant arguments describing about what Christians believed and explained why they acted the way they did. And in one of his writings to his opponents, I want you to hear what he said. He says this, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say. Look how they love one another. He's writing to his opponents. So, you know, if this was not true, they would close his entire letter and be like, well, that's not true, so that's out of here. That wouldn't be very good logic to just lob up a softball if that's not true. Clearly, that was true. And we know from other ancient writings that that's exactly how Christians operated. In other words, in that ancient time period, there are a lot of people that didn't understand Christians, but here's what they said in those early generations. They're like, look, I think Christian practices are weird. I don't agree. I don't believe it. I don't understand it. I don't worship like them. I don't want to worship with them. But here's one thing I know. It is astonishing how they love each other and how they love the neediest in our cities. That's what the opponents said. In fact, there are surviving letters from ancient emperors who hated, one in particular, hated Christianity. And we have a surviving letter to pagan priests, his priests, and he said, why can't you figure out a way to care for the poor like the Christians do? Go figure out, start some kind of initiative, but they're showing more love than we do. See, what's this dynamic that's happening that can happen with Christians? Why is there a dynamic where a Christian can say, because it's a dynamic that's very real in our society that I'm willing to bet that all of us have experienced and maybe some of us have turned away from Jesus or other Christians altogether walked away from the faith because of one simple thing. Sometimes Christians do not look like Christ. In other words... Let me just come back here to our screen here for a second. Give me a minute. There we go. There are some Christians that with their lives, they say this. But in all reality, I mean, it just... just doesn't make sense. I mean, there's some Christians that I think do look like that. I think many, I, I believe, I've seen, I know. Their lives look like Jesus. I mean, then, then what is it? What is it that some people's lives can, can look like Jesus and then some can't? And, and here's what's crazy is 
those Christians, you have some that look so far from Jesus, some that look just like Jesus, and they're, it's not like they're going to a different church. They attend the same church sometimes, are in the same small group. They're reading the same Bible reading plan. They might serve on the same serving team. It's like they're on the same keyboard. They're using the same fingers, actually using the same keys. They're using the same language. But here's what happens. If the anchor is just off, if the fingers are just off the home keys, if a Christian's life is not anchored to the right thing, and if it's just a little off, it looks something completely unlike the person of Jesus. In other words, if someone thinks the Christian life is present active, not passive perfect, that tiny adjustment might be the whole thing. Because if someone thinks that God's love, man, it is something, I, it's passive perfect. God's love is something that I receive. It's established and completed and unchanging in the moment on the cross. Jesus' love for me is perfect and I just receive that and I'm kept in it. I don't have to try and fight to stay in it. No, I'm kept in it. Then what happens to that person's life? They're so, they can't believe the mercy of God that they, they just expend that to the people around them. They can't believe the peace that they have. And so they cause peace and they shed, spread peace to the people around them. They are just content, perpetually awestruck by the sacrificial love of God. I can't believe what you did to rescue me. And they've never recovered from that from that truth of how much God loves them. And so that love is just pouring out on people with self-sacrifice all around them. But man, if, if someone's faith is really just not the gospel at all, it's just religion using Christian components. It's present active. It's like every other religion. I have to work hard so that God loves me and accepts me. And I gotta work hard again today, and again today, it's very present, and I'm the actor. I've gotta do it, and I've gotta earn God's love. And then once I think I got God's love, then I'm riding high because I've done well, or I'm, I'm crashing because I'm not doing well, and I've gotta keep myself in God's love because, man, I can't fall away, or I can't, man, he's not gonna bless me now, or maybe that's why this bad thing is happening to me, or, or, or maybe, man, maybe I've lost my faith altogether, or maybe God's mad at me, and he so, seems so far from me. I've gotta stay in that love, and they think it's something presently that they've, that's hanging in the balance and something active that they have to do, well then think of what their life is going to look like. They've just moved their fingers over one set of keys. Their anchor shifted. They're no longer anchored to the home keys of following Jesus and be a recipient of his love and kept in the faith. No, it's something they have to achieve. And that little shift changes everything in how they engage the world. They feel no grace and mercy from God. They got to fight and claw for all of it. So they don't show grace and mercy to other people. And so it, it actually makes them feel better about themselves to talk about how terrible their sin is. And it makes me feel a little bit better about my sin. They have no peace, they're spiritually anxious. I don't know if I'm saved, really. If I, I don't know if I'm doing enough. 
I don't know if I've done, if I, did I pray hard enough to get the, the answer I wanted? Did I pray right? Man, is there too much sin? Am I not being blessed the way I want to because I have too much sin in my life? Spiritually anxious. No rest. And so then that anxiety pours over. It's not peace. So they, they go to work and they're full of anxiety and they spread that anxiety. They spread that spiritual anxiety to their kids. They spread that spiritual anxiety to people. They spread that spiritually anxious perspective on their city and their land and their nation and their world. Oh, well, God's about ready to smite us because we've just not done this, this, and this. And they don't rest with spiritual rest that God works all things together for good. That we can count it all joy even when we face trials of many kinds. And if they're not thunderstruck by the love, the self-sacrificing love of God, if it's all about I've got to love God enough rather than God has loved me more than I could imagine, then they don't have a lot of self-sacrificing love to spread around. And so they hoard. No, this is all, all this is mine. Okay, you have no right to it. My influence is mine. My possessions are mine. My platform is mine. My position is mine. My possessions are mine. And, and you want me to give some of this to you? And there's not a, well, God, you've given me more than I could possibly fathom. All of my, that I have is yours. Of course, I'm going to give of myself to those around me. See, one shift from the profound words of Jesus, the gospel, to just another religion with the components of Christianity is the difference between a life looking like Jesus and a life that's not recognizable as Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Some of you have had some deep wounds dealt to you by Christians. And my fear is that you've walked away from the Savior because of people that, just like you and me, need to be saved. It's not about us all being perfect. None of us are. We just rally around the one who was Jesus. This is why that kind of dynamic happens. Please come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. We all, you need grace and mercy. We all need grace and mercy. But some of you Christians following after him, can we take a hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do, are we as an outflow of the gospel, the love we've received from God, does my life reflect mercy and grace? I was talking with a, guy, a group of guys earlier in a book study that I'm in. We were talking about, there's this phrase, maybe you've heard it before, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. Man, I wish we'd stop using that phrase. Do you know what we really mean when we say that? Like what the intent of is hate their sin. Hate their sin and love that sinner. That's what we're communicating. That's what we mean. But if we're full of grace and mercy, we can't believe that God has taken away our sin that we hate so much and that God has loved us as sinners. Be filled with grace and mercy. Hate your own sin and love everybody who are fellow sinners. 
That's why forgiveness is a hallmark of a Christian because we're so full and just can't believe, awestruck by his grace and mercy. I've been forgiven so much. How could I not forgive those around me? Does your life reflect the grace and mercy that you've been shown? Does your life reflect peace? The peace that passes understanding? Or do you live in perpetual anxiety? Are you doing enough? Have you done enough? You're spreading that around. Oh, that's why I'm God. Did I I pray hard enough? Am I doing good enough? No, he is your father, period. That love is settled. He's for you. It's who you are. Rest. Do you extend that peace? Do you spread that peace, that rest? You know, joy, that's why joy is one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith. Because we're so settled on who's in control and that he loves us and he keeps us that we make space for joy. How about love? Does your life, does my life, does it mark love? Do I I have a life that's prepared to not just be nice, but give of myself for those around me that God loves? That's why generosity is a key marker of the Christian faith generous with our time, your influence, the hard work, your position at work, your possessions, your stuff, your finances. We have lives of generosity, lives of giving that only makes sense. We only get that. We only enjoy that. We only love the beauty and and, and just rejoice in the privilege of giving if we're just perpetually cannot believe how much God has given us. That's the only time that that makes sense. Otherwise, a chore, prying open our hands, gripping everything that we have, saying, no, this is mine. Can we take a hard look at our lives and see if it, does it look like Jesus? It might be because I'm not standing on the foundation of the gospel. So can we just take a moment and just, just a moment, can we bring this to a point of just reflection and decision? Can you just take a moment with me? Would you, whether you're watching online or you're in overflow or you're here, can you just take a quiet moment before God? Would you just bow your head for a second? Just close your eyes. And can you just take a quiet moment with you and God and just be willing and brave and courageous to ask some tough questions? Let's be hearers and doers of this word. Let's let the Holy Spirit go to work and transform our lives. And can you just take a moment and ask some tough questions? I want to speak to those of you first who have had a bad experience with a church or a Christian or religious person and you've just about turned your life and said, no, I'm done. Why would I want Jesus? Can you just take a moment and just reflect on what, I'm, I'm so sorry that you've had that. I've, I've got wounds myself. But don't miss out on the invitation that's offered you of God's love through Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Would you receive that invitation today? Come back to Jesus. Have mercy and grace. Can I speak to those of you who are followers of Jesus? Would you have courage to let the Holy Spirit expose in your life where your life doesn't look like your Savior? 
And would you honestly say, God, I need you to teach me how to be a person of grace and mercy. I need you to teach me. I'm not gonna be, I wanna be like you. I'm not gonna budge on what I believe, but I'm gonna be full of grace and mercy. God, I'm not gonna do to someone else what you didn't require of me. I'm not gonna tell someone, hey, go get yourself cleaned up and then you can come to Jesus. No, you came to me in the the midst of the mess and you accepted me just how I am and I wanna be a person of grace and mercy. I want to be a person of love and generosity and I want to give of myself. I want to be a person of peace. Would you just be honest and repent today? Let the gospel that you cling to, that you know, surge through your life. But there's one group of you that's deeply on my heart and it's going to take a miracle for some of you to see this. But some of you have been following Jesus all your life. You've been in church maybe since the day you were born and never left. You'd say you're a Christian. You'd say you're a follower of Jesus. But honestly, if you, are, if you looked at it honestly, you've never realized that his salvation, his love, is something you simply receive. You've still operated like it's a religion that you have to earn his love and you have to strive to keep his love. That is just religion made out of the components of Christianity. Reject it and find your salvation today. You might be calling yourself a Christian but not really know a Savior. Be rescued by Jesus today. If you want to be rescued by Jesus Christ, just I want to lead you in a prayer. Silently in your, in, in your seat, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I receive it. I answer the invitation and I receive your love. I'm saved based on what you have done, not what I do. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your peace. I will rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a powerful moment if you just gave your life to Jesus and answered that invitation. And if that's you, I want to ask you to do a simple thing. Would everyone just... Uh, just for a second, would you just grab your cell phone? Would you pull that out? Go ahead and take out your cell phone. If you're watching online, would you just uh, pull out your cell phone? I want you to take a second. And I want you to go to um, your browser, and I want you to go to cityrev.org faith. Just take a minute, go there, and if you put your faith in Jesus, I want you to answer those questions because we want to just follow up with you. We want to encourage you, and we want to, more importantly, send a Bible to you. So would you take a second and do that, whether you're here watching online, if that was you, we want to celebrate with you. Church, we're going to close with a song, and here's what we're going to declare. It's that who we are is not something we earn. It's not something we look inside and find out. It's not something we spend our life trying to discern. Who we are is something that was established and declared in the past. Jesus has spoken over. God the Father has spoken over our lives and he's declared everything we need to know about who we are. We are loved and called by God. And we are going to stand together and we are going to celebrate that that together. Would you stand with me? Let's close with this song. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.